Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says to be anxious for nothing, but in everything prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The first thing we ought to be doing when trouble comes is pray. When the promise doesn't look like our present situation, pray. When we got fake friends and fickle family members and real enemies, we ought to be praying. When we got more month than money, the first thing we ought to be doing is praying. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah, the 62nd chapter, starting with the first verse. And I'd ask all that are physically able to please stand when you have it. Isaiah 62, I'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Hear ye the word of the Lord. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem In the hand of your God, you shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. For the uh, time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about changing the name. Changing the name. Uh, Hep Zeba. It's not really a name that rolls off the tongue. H E P H Z I B A H. Some children, upon reaching adulthood, decide to change their names. It's probably fair to say that a lot of women after marriage adopt the husband's last name as their own. Uh, There was a time when uh, children were baptized in the old days that that was actually how they got their name. Uh, The baptismal certificate was was one of the leading legal documents for children. Uh, so they named them. And people change their names. Uh, some people taking on new Christian orders change 
their name. They adopt a Christian name. Pope Francis, for example, his real name is uh, Jorge Mario Bergoglio. And Mother Teresa's real name was Agnes Gonsi. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. G-O-N-X-H-A-B-O-J-A-X-H-I-U. Changed their name. Uh, many actors have a stage name that they go by that differs from the one that you see on their birth certificate. There's something about changing a name. Uh, those who've known me really long know that one of my pet peeves is misspelling my name. My name is spelled J-O-H-N-N-I-E. Johnny. Not John. Not Jonathan. Not J-O-N. Not J-O-H-N. I was in line for something one time and gave me the, my, gave them my name and somehow they determined that it was J-A-H-N. I remember graduating from high school in Indianapolis, Indiana at North Central High School and being called down to the office my senior year because we were prepping for graduation and so I had to fill out paperwork so that they could you know, get my diploma prepared and they called me down to the office and say Johnny, this is going to be a legal document you can't put a nickname on a legal document what's your real name? Johnny this is a legal document Johnny you can't put that on. What is your actual name? I don't know what to tell you, but that's what's on my driver's license. That's what's on my birth certificate. That's my daddy's name. That's his daddy's name, although he got a middle name, John Cleveland Simpson, and his daddy's name. We like Johnny. Like it so much, I named my son Johnny. He's the third on paper, but because of the middle names, he's actually probably like the fifth or sixth. We, we like Johnny. So I'm not in the camp of changing my name when I get older. But there's value to changing the name. And, and, and they, even when I was at that deal, uh, she begrudgingly wrote Johnny back into place because she had already scratched it out looking to put on a new name on the paperwork. And even still, when I walked across the stage for my high school graduation... The announcer still said John. Oh, wow. Everybody got, uh, everybody there, you know, they got the instructions. You can't say anything if you say anything or clap too loud or go, woo, at, at that graduation. They'd hold you off to the side so that you, you'd have to wait. And they were handing out your actual diploma. <laughs> but yeah, he still said John. But I like Johnny because that is my name. And I like it. Also, because when I started looking it up, some pretty nice people in, the, in that, that John range in the Bible. It's pretty nice people. But nevertheless, I can understand wanting to change your name. Uh, there was a story in the news not too long ago. A young lady by the name of Apsity. Uh, her boarding pass at the, at the airline, they, 
they uh, made fun of her. And it went viral because her name was Apsity. Because it was spelled, it was pronounced Apsity, but it was spelled A-B-C-D-E. Apsity. I'm pretty sure she's going to change her name when she gets a little older. There's value in changing the name. And some of us wonder if we were to take on a Christian name to reflect the new orders, what would it be? Uh, We need to prompt ourselves and, and consider what our most important values are. What has God gifted us to do? And just as God bestowed a new name on the land and the people of God as a sign of renewal and transformation, we too have been blessed and renewed and thus given a new name. A child of God, redeemed, loved by God, favored. Uh, Isaiah is always an interesting text to me and the more I study it, the more interesting it becomes because Isaiah is kind of in a weird place. It's in a place of what's going on now and what's yet to come. It's in a place of what's been promised to you, but what's actually going on in front of you is a little different than what's promised to you. So I can relate to the people of Isaiah because they have all of these prophecies in front of them, but life is not good for them. They've been removed from their homeland. It was run over by a foreign government, and these people were displaced, dispersed, spread out all over the world. And they're still wondering, where is God in the midst of all of this destruction? Where is God in the midst of me being separated from my family? Where is God in the midst of me not knowing where my next meal is coming from? They even said, how can I sing songs in a foreign land? I can relate to that. These people are encouraged and emboldened and empowered by eloquent words of Isaiah, but they have returned to the land. By the time we get to to chapter 62, they've been removed from their homeland. Then they got a chance to come back. But when they come back, when they come back to their homeland, it's in ruins. They've returned to the ruins of Jerusalem and begin again. And God is trying to do a new thing among them. They've been in Babylonian exile. And and it felt like a punishment for for the sins that they did. And and the return to Jerusalem became God's act of forgiveness in, in Isaiah 40. And the prophet has words to inspire the people. And they're following the prophet back home. But when they follow the prophet back home, there is infighting, setbacks, and frustrations. Uh, see, this is, this is Isaiah 62. So they, they've already been captured and, and they're coming back. And Isaiah 62 is after 40. So they've already heard, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. And they got all hyped and they went on back to a place that was tore down. Where you at now, preacher? There is a tension between the promise and the the reality. What God told you you were going to have and what you have right now, they don't match. 
It's kind of hard hearing that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus when your account is on overdraft and you're not going to get paid for the next at least two days. It's kind of hard to think about being blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come and blessed when you go. But when you go there, you get disrespected in the city, forgot about in the field, gossiped about when you come and stabbed in the back when you go. Where you at, preacher man? There's some tension in this. Nobody is flying like eagles. Nobody is running and not getting weary. Nobody is walking and not fainting. They are looking at a major project that is about to go on before the people, and they don't know what to do. What do you do? When your present situation is not what's been promised. We can blame preachers for that some of the time because we, some of us get up and sell a pie in the sky existence. Yes. Sow a seed and everything is going to be all right. God is going to take care of you. Don't worry about a thing. Just keep being positive. And it's going to be all good. But the situation of the people of God in Isaiah 62 is not like that. We forget that sometimes the Bible does say that man born of a woman days are few and full of affliction. We say no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But we don't understand that for that to happen somebody actually still has to try to make the weapon. And somebody actually still has to try to use it against you. It's not all pie in the sky. It's not all skipping through daffodils. There's work to be done. And sometimes that work may look insurmountable. People who ain't got no business rebuilding a city are tasked with rebuilding a city. After being enslaved for a long time and having to make a trek all the way back. And so the God, God tells them some things and, and, and the, the, the prophet tells them some things to let them keep going. First off, he says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Zion often referring to the city of Jerusalem, but also the throne of Yahweh. So it's both a geographical place and a place of authority. The pastor is saying he's not doing this for his own sake. He's doing this for the Lord. Are we doing things for our own sake? Are we doing them for the Lord? Uh, He says what he's going to do for the church. And this prophet resolves that he is a seer and a spokesman. People of God should be able to speak truth to power. And they should be able to speak truth to power because they understand that their power does not reside in this system. Uh, And so he tells them that he's going to perform this office faithfully. He will not hold his peace. He will not rest. He will not mind his business. He will not. He will take pains and never desire to take ease. The pastor is not just going to sit around and watch the people suffer. Just like the people of God shouldn't watch around as other people suffer. This is an example for the pastor, but we believe in the priesthood of all believers. 
We all are pastors in some sort. We all are preaching sermons in some sort. We all are a Bible that somebody is reading in some sort. So when we see things that are going bad, we ought not be able to rest. We ought not be able to hold our peace. The Bible tells us to welcome the stranger. The Bible tells us to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit those who are sick and in prison. The Bible tells us that true religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans, those who can't take care of themselves. The Bible don't tell us to act like a social club that only let in people that, that we want in. You know, I was in Atlanta the other day, and I, I've always talked about the, the 4.6 million in the Houston area of the people that don't go to church. I learned nationwide only 17% of the people go to church. Nationwide. And not just church. That's any kind of religious organization. So that 17% is being divided up amongst the mosque and the synagogue and the church. I would argue that the problem is not the people on the outside, but the people on the inside. Because I've learned when something is going right, people are attracted to it. When something is going wrong, they, they instinctively stay away unless there's some sort of glutton for punishment. But for Zion's sake, we ought not keep silent. For Zion's sake, we ought not hold our peace. For Zion's sake, we ought not rest. For Zion's sake, we got to step out there to the people. And he says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace in Jerusalem. I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. He won't keep quiet. So the author decides that he's going to pray first. He's going to pray and keep praying. Uh, yeah, the Bible says in Isaiah 55 and 6 to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon the Lord while he may be near. And Matthew 7 and 7 says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Mark 11 and 23 says, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in those things that say he says they will be done. What he will have, whatever he says, Philippians four, six through seven says to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The first thing we ought to be doing when trouble comes is pray. When the promise doesn't look like our present situation, pray. When we got fake friends and fickle family members and real enemies, we ought to be praying. When we got more month than money, the first thing we ought to be doing is praying. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your problems. He'll hear the faintest cry and answer by and by. Have a little talk with you. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything, not some things, everything to God in prayer. 
when there is any kind of trouble, the first thing we need to do is pray. We've come this far by faith. Leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word. He's never failed me yet. We ought to be praying. We ought to be in constant communication with God. If you want what God wants for you, you need to say what God says. For you. Pray. Because they're in 62, chapter 62 of Isaiah, and they've gone through all these things, and so he's reminding them of the promises that were given all the way through. He's talking about what he's going to do and what we should do as people of God. Pray. Then he tells us what God will do for the church. We can pray and preach, but we need God to confirm the word and give us the answers to our prayer. So we ought not keep silent. We ought not just be happy to be at the table. We ought not just be happy to be in the room. And not only do we not keep silent there, we need to also not keep silent in our own lives. Prayer is more than just blessing the food. In the public prayer at church or any uh, invocation at at an event, prayer is constant communication with God. You got to keep talking to God and allow God to talk to you. And so he says that he won't keep silent. And when he prays and then he waits for God to act, the nations will see your vindication. Vindication is translated as righteousness. Dawn's first light. I feel sun, they say sunlight is the best disinfectant. He's saying, I know it looks bad right now, but everyone is going to see the turnaround and you will be better on the other side. Uh, They say that there are only two, three types of people. Those who just got out of a storm. Those who are in a storm and those who are about to go into a storm. And if it ain't true for you, just keep on saying good morning. But every storm you go through, every trial you go through, every test you go through makes you that much better. When you have to work for something or you had to struggle without it, you appreciate it that much more. Amen. Amen. I appreciate the cars I have now because I remember bagging groceries for an entire year, paying Miss Edmonds $50 a month until I got to the amount of the car and then got the engine fixed, the transmission fixed, so that I could have my own car my senior year in school. But because I was able to work for that, hello, check, one, two. Because I was able to work for it, I appreciate it. I ain't just let anybody drive my car. And you want to go somewhere with me? Baby, you need gas money. I appreciated it. I appreciate everything I had to work for. I appreciate financial aid because I know what it's like to be kicked out of school because you still have a balance. I appreciate the value of education because I know what it's like to be in front of a provost. 
begging them to let me back into school on a payment plan so that I can graduate. Amen. It, I'm, I know everybody else can had everything else go exactly their way. But when you have to work for stuff, when you have gone through something, when you've experienced something, you appreciate a meal if you had to eat ramen noodles. You appreciate it. Sometimes the storm is good. Sometimes the storm makes you better. I've been listening to some podcasts and they're talking about working out and the theory of power lifting. And they say that part of the, one of the benefits about it in doing these certain lifts is that there are panic inducing events. Uh, they, these guys only prescribe doing four lifts, bench press, squat, deadlift, and, and uh, something else. But it's, it's dumbbell presses. And they want you to lift as much weight as possible. And you may only do five sets for each exercise, but you do them four exercises and then you get out the gym. But the reason they talk about those exercises and lifting heavier and heavier weight is because they say it's a panic-inducing event. Lifting that heavy weight makes you think you are about to go home to glory. It is a panic-inducing event, but once you've been through some of those situations over and over again, you're that much more better mentally. Uh, at the investiture service that I was at for the Honorable Deshaun Jones, they talked about his military background and how he was a field artillery officer. And they said that he's seen and done things that nobody else would ever have had to do. But because he's gone through those things, he went through them and now just worried about somebody being mad at him for what he said is nothing because he's faced death in the eye. So when you go through certain trials and tribulations and you get out of them, you're that much better on the other side. While these people of God have been exiled and incarcerated and then had to make a trip back and they're looking at the, 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 the Jerusalem being torn down and they got to rebuild it. They can appreciate it because they're better on the other side. Can I come down y'all row? Some of us are rebuilding homes after taking several feet of water in the house. We rebuilt this church after taking several feet of water. We went through the storm and we are better on the other side. Though he slay me yet, will I trust him? I've been through the fire and I'm coming out as pure gold. So the nations will see your vindication. And then he tells them that their name is going to be changed. Uh, this Jewish remnant has returned to a post-exilic Palestine, which is a big old $5 word for meaning the Hebrew people of God. They got evicted by the Babylonian kingdom, but now they are back. But they've only found Jerusalem forsaken and desolate. And this prophet, however, sees a different Landscape, And it's exciting. He cannot keep from shouting and proclaiming the good news. Jerusalem is going to be vindicated and it's going to happen right before their eyes and the whole world. Zion's new status will be indicated by a new name. Ah, he tells them that they're no longer going to be forsaken and desolate. What he, what he says is their new name is going to be that Heth Zeba, which translates in Hebrew to my delight is in her. And Beulah translates in Hebrew to married. 
And so they're saying that they will go from being forsaken and desolate to a delight and companion. They're going, to, going from tore down and left alone to, 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 to together and with companionship. And that companionship is going to be God. And he tells them that they'll enter this land with companionship and the Lord delighting in them. And it says, for as a young man marries a woman, and it says, so your sons marry you. There's, there's, a, there's a play on the Hebrew there, and the word also translates into builder. So some translations will see builder. So God is going to, God is taking these people through the storm. And now he's going to provide for them and couple them with somebody that can build upon them. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so will God rejoice over you. Deserted and desolate will be changed to delight and married. And the people of God are going to be taken care of. That's some good news. I know it's hard right now, but while we are looking, waiting on the promise and our present situation does not reflect everything that God has promised for us, we just need to keep praying, keep holding on and understand that sometimes some of the things that are going to be put in place will happen a whole way long down the line because some of these prophecies that Isaiah talked about didn't come to uh, fruition in in any of the Old Testament scriptures because Isaiah was also the one that said that there would be unto us a child born and the government would be on his shoulders and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. Sometimes we got to understand that God's timing is not our timing. And if we hold on and stay holding on to God's unchanging hand, the the victory is going to come. It may not be when you want it, but it will always be on time. Just hold on and you will get that crown all hail the power of Jesus name let angels prostrate fall bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all because he saw this vision of Jerusalem being rebuilt and he saw this vision of the vindication before everybody's eyes but he also saw the vision of that savior stepping through 42 generations and coming down to save us to help the least the last and the lost to open up the blinded eyes to declare the acceptable year of the Lord the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he went all the way to Calvary for every one of our sins so that we could have access to the father sometimes there's time between the promise and the promise being fulfilled we just need to hold on to God's unchanging hand until it comes in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook.